Hi guys, welcome to Glitch in the Code. I hope you're well. I'm here with my good friend Tony Stapleton from Heal Thyself. We did a series together, which you can see on iconic.com. Um, and I'm really pleased how that series come out. I was definitely ill when we did that series. And I think we come out, we did it really, really well. And I'm really pleased with it. But I wanted to invite Tony on, on the show today because... Um, of his background and where he's come from and it's a bit of a redemption story and I'm trying to do things a bit more positive because we will talk about conspiracies but we want to frame it in a, in a, in a way that says that this is not over this is not you cannot this is not sort of something you can't overcome this isn't such a big demon that's bearing down on us because it isn't and it is losing its power and Tony's also well versed in conspiracies as well we've had many chats about these things so yeah. Tony welcome to the show really lovely to speak to you can you tell a little bit uh, people a little bit about um why you kind of went to the point we'll start we'll start with um we'll start with the point where you kind of got into unhealthy ways of living maybe I don't know when that was was it in your teens yeah and obviously that led to to some other situations we'll talk about well, it's good. First of all, it's great to be here. And it was great working you on the series. And I've really enjoyed watching it back after I've got over watching myself. It's a bit <laughs> awkward. And it's nice to talk about redemption because you don't hear about much about redemption these days, apart from there's a game on the PlayStation, the Red Dawn or yeah. something. But is there a place for redemption in the world? I believe in redemption. I believe in giving everyone a second chance unless they've done something proper dodgy. And I believe in people can change. So it wasn't necessarily I had, I was living an unhealthy lifestyle um health wise but i used to be a bit of a naughty boy basically i mean a lot of people smoke pot the marijuana the thc is quite popular it's been popular for a few decades the old jazz cigarette and they buy their little bit and they might buy of someone who has a bigger bit and then he might buy of someone who sells a kilo and then that buy guy would meet someone like me who I used to go down a lockup, pick up a load of stuff, go and deliver it like a pizza, and then a couple of weeks later I'd get the money. So that's all I was doing, really. I was a pot dealer, but on a bigger level. So morally, you know, I don't really have a problem with, with marijuana or anything like that. So it wasn't a moral thing, but it wasn't a legal thing. And now I'm a health and fitness coach. I might not always get perfect results with people, but no one sends me to jail for it. So more the story of the negativity was the negative, the negative perspective I grew up with, you know, as you know, with the virus and, and contagions and everything, I knew we'd get back to that. But as you know, Louis Pasteur, Louis Pasteur, the famous scientist on his deathbed, he was meant to said that, you know, the germ is nothing. The environment is everything. Yeah. And I really believe that about people bringing up, you know, we might have genetics and everything, but you put two twins and you put them in, you know, rags to riches or so, and they're going to grow up different depending on the things. And I grew up with good parents, but my dad was a drinker and he actually ended up dying at age 60 of liver failure in 1999. And um, I've gone a bit off track there, but I grew up a bit suffering from, I didn't realize it because I've never had any, or I've never had any formal medication or yeah. but from a kind of a bit a bit flippy you could say a bit moody oh what's he's all right today the next you know we all know people like that but a little bit extremes maybe if you put me on the under the microscope you could have called me bipolar or suffering from depression or whatever that so you used to always kind of cover it up with pot smoking 
and kind of self-medicating. But I had this attitude in me. I didn't used to get in a lot of fights, but I would never back down from anything. I can't. It's, I don't know why, but when people have these mindsets, it seems real, and it seems the right thing to do. Like when people get angry. Think of the times you've been angry. At a time, it seems right, and you feel justified. And it's only in retrospect you go, "What was I doing?" And as you know, anger can come like a like a match, you know, or and what happens normally when people like that, people leave leave them well alone or they're or they're known for it and the people normally suffering from the anger are normally people suffering this because they're, they're the fuckers have to live with it do you know what i mean and where does anger normally come from if you ask yoda it comes from disappointment and rejection you know things happen to us we feel bad in life but we have to carry on we have to carry on every day so we squash it down and as we talked about this is all the unresolved stuff so waffling on here but i ended up in i don't remember what year it is i could look i think it's 2007 in shepherd's bush uh, and i've told different versions of this story but the real story i'm gonna tell you now it's embarrassing it's embarrassing richard right but i'm telling him on now just to show just to be honest really and and this is quite a good because i took lots of notes when i was in there like a middle class guy in prison for six months because there was some funny shit that went down and whenever I've mentioned it, oh, you went to prison. People love hearing about it because we have this fascination. So, you know, so about... Tony, what what led to your arrest? I mean, how? Talk about okay, so the build up. Yeah, talk about okay, the build up. Okay, so that morning, I've always, as I said in the series, you know, I didn't have such a great relationship with my mum. So when I was in relationships, it was always a big deal with me. And when they split up, I realised I took it a lot worse than some people. It wasn't just oh, I'll see you later, a bit depressed, move on. I went into real things so i'd split up with a girlfriend at the time who i really loved and so i was in this depression moody anger and as a guy if you're showing pain you're in pain yeah it's incredible how painful this life can be sometimes and it's just it's not actual physical nothing's happening to you it's all in our mind but as a guy of our pain we can't go around crying and do we can and there's nothing wrong with that but as a guy we're meant you know i'm 51 we're from like wait man up and all that bullshit so we cover it and sometimes we grow a macho persona and you know i train all these i train all that and you cut through them all the little soft things inside yeah but anyway i woke up that day and someone rang me up and said it had a discrepancy with some money they owed me all right so i got my accounts out and i was like you're wrong okay i never used to travel around with my accounts okay because obviously if you have a load of pot, a load of counts. That's called, what do they call it? Bang to rights. Yeah, but that morning I went to meet the guy. I'd had a row with him. Da, 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 da. He gave me some money. So now I've got pot in the car for someone found something else, money and a book under the mat, which I didn't normally do. Then I went for lunch with someone, and I used to go to this place, and it's on the Harrow Road. It's called, used to be called Sporting Benefica. But I used to meet someone else for lunch. And they gave me this coffee, and it was so strong, this espresso. And I don't know if you've ever been in a bit of a mood, and you've drunk coffee, and it can set you off. Sometimes it can set people off. So I got in the car, and I had to. I was rushing to, to meet some guy with this big box of pot in Reading. And I was in a bad mood. Now, listen to this. This sounds... Okay, it's not bad. This is not like a Sean Atwood story. You know Sean Atwood? <laughs> yeah, it's not yeah. like I've been to Super I only got 18 months for pot. 
But this is a middle class person's view of prison. I mean, I didn't think I was middle class. I thought I was like, well, you know, until you go in there and then you realize, oh, my God, I'm having nice, polite people who cares about people. But anyway, so I was driving down Scrubs Lane. This is the lane which the BBC's on. Yep. Bomber Clark is on, you know, Bomber yeah. Clark. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and um, <coughs> sorry. I told people that it was an unmarked police car, right? It wasn't. It was a police car, and it was a small car. It looked like a metro, but you know, probably people don't know what a metro, mini metro. But it was like a, like a Fiesta or something. Yep. With four coppers in there going like this, looking out the windows for something. They're driving at twenty miles an hour, slowing down to five, speeding up to ten, down to five, fifteen. Like, and I was like, what the, f-? you know, driving behind me. So I was patient. And literally, they weren't going about 20 miles an hour. So in my mind, right, and I was in a bad mood. And when I got like that, I didn't give a you-know-what. When I was like that, and sometimes in the job, like if someone hadn't paid me or I had to, you know, it wasn't like some sort of gangster thing. It was the middle class. But I was known, he will smack you in the face. Do you know what I mean? I didn't, but I would do. So I'm going down there, really stressed. Whoops smack the mic driving down there so i indicate and i overtake them going down so i overtake a police car but i'm going about 20 miles an hour so in my mind this is not a bad thing but suddenly woo, 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 they go mental they go mental they we go down the road we pull onto shepherd's bush green and i'm out they pull me over outside chicken cottage and I don't know if you've never had any madness go on in your life, but it's kind of like sometimes you've seen that in a really good movie where something's mad's going on, then something really random happens in the back. You know, you just kind of like, we're having a mad row, then suddenly someone walks, you know, something. And I look around, there's all these kids standing there eating chicken out the box. Like, watch me like it was <laughs> like it was YouTube or something. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, what are you fucking staring at? But anyway, so I jumped out of the car and I thought, okay, they can't look in my boot because there's no reason to. Yeah. Right, because this is still this is fourteen years ago, okay? It's a big mug. It is. Hibiscus tea, everyone, really good for helping reduce blood pressure if you drunk regularly. Anyway. Um <clears throat> But they flew out, they got me, and then they opened they made me open the boot straight away. Look around the boot, and I've got thirteen kilos of hash in the boot. <laughs> Which sounds like crazy if someone's smoked, oh, I've got an eighth. Yeah. Well, this is a lot of apes. But two weeks before that, I had 200 keys of skunk in a van. So I could have been caught with that. Yeah. So small graces. So anyway, they got me there. They found that box. Go, what's this? And they were like almost doing a little kind of little dance. Yeah. So they got me back to the police station. Got me in the police station. They were like, look at this guy. And it wasn't, I just thought it's some, it's actually a shitty pot. It wasn't like soap bar or flat fresh, like really shit pit pop. It wasn't like really good pollen. It was just, it was nothing special. Anyway, so then I was suddenly there. And then six months later, I walked out of the third prison, which was somehow connected with, with you because it was on the Isle of Wight. Yes, yeah, that's the it's famous called, one, isn't it? Yeah, and it's called HMP Camp Hill, which is now knocked down. Um, and then there's the other one on, on um, I think there's three, isn't there? On uh, Then there's the Albany. 
so you... which is where all, where all the coppers and the nonces and all the <laughs> and all the pedos go. That must be horrific. If you're so in the military you... or anything, I know. Sorry, no, I know. I'm talking to you like you're some sort of street <laughs> urchin. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Albany. It's gonna say. I don't but know. Sunday, I was in I was in the police station and they got that and I couldn't tell them where I live for certain reasons, so they kept me there for two days. Right. Yeah. And they came down here in Cheltenham because that was on my driving license. And they raided my aunt's house, my mum. I mean, really. Nightmare Christ. upon nightmares. And then I stayed there. Uh, I went to court and tried to get bail, you know. So that means I could be out here until my court date. And then the police had gone around my house and there's four people lived in this house and they found my passport and stuff. They didn't find some other things, thankfully. And (laughs) in the next room they went in, there's this guy living with me and he's um, he's like a roadie. Yeah, for a band. So he's always on the drink and sniff and all that. And they found some empty wraps of whatever was in it. Nothing to do with me. And they put that in my room. Right. And they said to the magistrate, now, as you know, or I don't know, I actually believe there is some, with the judicial system, judges, there is actually something I quite respect about judges. Not not all of them. Like, don't get me wrong. But magistrates are just people pulled out of the public. Mm. And they could generally be quite bigoted. So she goes, da, 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 da. did you find? She goes, well, we found a piece of paper with white substance. And then she just went, don't. Bell denied. And they also said that I stunk of marijuana. And in my car, I had paraphernalia everywhere. Right. I never smoked once in that car. So it just shows you. How so they'll add things once up. Once you're yeah. in there, yeah. they can say what they want. Okay. So when you, you're in there and you've got two and you haven't got bail and you're spending them that time in there, two weeks in there, what are you? What are you thinking? What's going through your head? Oh, two days I was in the police Sorry, station. two days, and then you're going and into... And then they take you... What was I thinking? Yeah, what were you thinking? I was thinking, oh, this is what it's like sitting in a jail cell. Now, it's, it's sitting in a, jail, in, a, in a jail cell for two days is horrible. And you lie on the... I mean, this is 14 years ago. So if anyone... If anything I say is different or changed, please write in the comments. Because, obviously, I was there six months, 13 years ago. But I've got a feeling they haven't hasn't got any better in prison. It was, a, it was chaos then. So then after two days, they took me to what's called the local prison. And the local prison is where everyone goes when they're first nicked and then they're either kept there on remand or they're sent for sentencing or they're sent everywhere. So the local prison in my area was Wormwood Scrubs. So if you commit a murder or you get done with shoplifting and you know and you get for and you and you got your third strike, you will all be in this uh what called uh central uh Central prisons, uh, yeah, the prisons where you're waiting. And this is where a lot of trouble happens because you've got people who are not sentenced and you've also got people, one day they're on the street, next day they're in there. Yeah. And Wormwood Scrubs had 1,300 people in it with 300 people going mad in the wing with four floors. So then I was taken to Wormwood Scrubs. And I don't care, look, I'm not a macho guy, but I was someone... Prison's like a microcosm of the world, okay? So... If you're a person who gets in rows with people, if you're a person who gets into trouble, you're violent out here, you're going to be really violent in there, except you're going to meet people probably who are a lot worse than you. And I can tell you a few stories about that. But when you first go into jail, because you've got to remember, someone might be suicidal, someone might be vulnerable, someone might just murdered somewhere. One. Yeah. I don't even, anyway, I don't want to get into the murder stories, but... And you go into a little bit of the prison, like it's like a little 
day centre kind of bit of prison. Where it's a mini small wing. You know, you go into the the wings. It's four floors. Yeah. With like eighty guys on the floor, and the noise and it's just mind blowing, right? But it's a small bit, and you're in there, and they've got big doors, and they serve you really nice food because people are fucking vulnerable, and people kill themselves within the first twenty four hours of prison. Yeah. Yeah. So and then the guy comes in with a truncheon, and he's like, "All right, lads," and he's like. Yeah, the bar's still okay, and all that. And then you think, oh, this is not too bad. Next day, you're on the wing. And you walk on the wing, and I don't care how big you are, how tough you are, you probably, you will, your your bottom will be flapping a little bit. Just this intense energy. Yeah. And like, fuck, I'm in prison. Because obviously, I was doing what I was doing for years, and I met people. And you're always wondering. You know, you're always wondering about something, sure. and then suddenly you're experiencing it. Well, this was... It's nice if you're wondering what Jamaica's like on the beach. And suddenly you're on the beach. This wasn't very nice. And I remember getting in the cell and they closed the door, the keys. And there's some other dude in the cell. Because mostly in prisons, you're two up in the cell. And the other guy's called your pad mate. Yeah. Okay? And there's this other guy, a Chinese guy, something like that. And I just sat in the bed. And I just felt this wave of depression. Because I suffered from depression anyway. But this just really heavy feeling. And I just started crying. And he was like, you'll be all right, mate. You'll be all right. I remember another person when I came into the prison off the street and there's a bit where you're waiting to be allocated and the guy goes, you haven't been to jail before, have you, mate? Because I must have looked. I wasn't like, shit myself, but it was just a bit new to me. He goes, it's all right, mate. It's not that bad. And, da, 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 da. and after a couple of days, I was thinking, what does this remind me of? Because I was TD8176. Stapleton. Stapleton. Where, where do people call you Stapleton? Where do people call you from your last name? School, wasn't it? School, yeah. So it was like, oh, I mean, it. That's what it reminds me of. I'm in the worst school ever. And then I was in Wormwood Scrubs, which in the 80s was a rough place. I've heard of that one. That and prison screws, I've actually heard of. Yeah, and screws were killing, murdering people. Yeah. And then there was a massive reform. Yeah. And it went the opposite way. So Wormwood Scrubs is, I mean, this is 14 years ago. All the young 20, 20 year olds, whatever, running around like lunatics, drugs rampant. There's one wing where, I mean, people are so crafty in prison and they're genius, right? But there's a wing where a wall, where people used to f um, fly remote-controlled planes. They didn't have drones then, but they had remote-controlled planes and stuff. Or they'd throw <laughs> things over the wall, and then they'd get a bed sheet, do a Rapunzel, tie it together, and at the end, get like a sticky tape and sort of like pins or something like that, and throw it out and hook the drugs and get it in. And then, you know, if you get an ounce of weed in prison you are like the, you're like tony montana do you know what i mean but unbelievable dirty place Roman scrubs dirty easy n not much discipline because of this thing that happened in the previous decade but dirty you go in the cell new cell and you just have to go and get the mop bucket and you know uh, d disgusting doing stinky and horrible cells and i was there in august and it was just just sitting there in your pants sweating disgusting food i mean you couldn't believe how bad you can make this food i'm meant to be doing a series of food and iconic it's been nothing like i won't be doing any of these recipes right? i tell everyone a lovely recipe right it's called dog shit pie lovely <laughs> like a pie with pastry right which was well it was, it was i'm already called it pasty and then you open the lid and it's like why is there nothing inside it and at the bottom it's almost like someone had put marmite on the bottom and that was the kind of weird meat yeah, 
And with mixed veg. No, I don't mind mixed. You know, frozen mixed veg. Yeah. But I think they boiled it in wee wee or something <laughs> because it just tasted like, and it smelt bad. With the worst mashed potato. Not even called mashed. Imagine if you took mashed if you took potatoes and you cooked them for half the time, and then you had some. You now you got some nice a bit of cream or butter, a bit of black pepper, maybe a bit of milk. Some people and you mash it up. Well, forget all that. Right, just put a bit of water with it <laughs> and mash it up and leave hard, half raw potatoes in there. And you've got this beautiful meal. So we've got the lovely mash on the side with the, the pea pea veg and a dog poo pie. So what are you thinking in that, that, that first two weeks when you're coming out and you're starting to see people around there, get to know people? What is going on in your head there? How, well, do, yeah, you, yeah, how, how do you figure that out? How um, do you deal with that? Well, you know, what does everyone say about prison? What does everyone think? Oh, did you get... Did you drop the soap in the shower? Yeah, they either think you're going to get raped or you can get beaten up. Mm. No one's beating me up, okay? I mean, they're not saying just because I don't give anyone any calls to beat up. Listen, I might be a bit mouthy sometimes back back then, but as soon as you go in there, you suddenly become very intelligent about what you're doing. If you've got a bit of savvy, if you're an idiot, that's what I mean. If you're an idiot who can't get your mouth shut, like I went in there and there was a stereotype dude on my second day. He's just come, been brought in that morning, yeah, for stabbing two people in the street. So he was a bit of a road bloke, yeah. And he was six foot four, black dude, um, West African, tall, ripped, and you know, a very stereotype scary. And he, went, he looked at me and went like this. So I went over, and he goes, Light, give me light. So I got my lighter out of my pocket. And whatever, he went to grab it, and I just held it back and then lit it the cigarette for him. Now, it sounds stupid, but mm. it's just, it takes that, then you're open. If you're a vulnerable person in jail, bad news. Yeah. Bad news. And then I called this guy Numbers. He was, re- he was, he was the kind of person you think you're going to, f- oh, prisoners have escaped. You imagine this guy. It's probably 5% of the prison population are aggressive, horrible fuckers. Okay. The rest of them, I call it the underclass, the people who grew up in the shit, you know, the people who grew up from a fucked up, not all of them, right? Because, but people from fucked up homes, people with no guidance, people, people who can't read and write, Richard. Do you know people who can't read and write? I bet you don't. Well, I never met people who can't read and write. I didn't know, I didn't know about these people, right? I wrote letters to judges for people. One of them, and I got actually got one of this, this kid I banged up with called Coach, which is about the only person I'd like to see now. He had his daughter, he just got married, and he's got his daughter called Chanel. And he got pissed one night, and he went and robbed the TV, and that was his second offence, and he, got, he was going to get five years. And he was such a sweet little guy, right? Uh, coach, I called him. And then he was going to get put in jail. And he didn't have any, he couldn't write anything. So I wrote him a letter saying, I want to please put me on this course. And I just said, look, I've, I'm married now. I did a stupid thing. I've got a young girl. I want to be there. And they, and he showed that to the judge and he got put on the drug rehabilitation program and he got went back to his family. So, and about a year ago, I found a letter from him telling me. So that was really sweet. That's lovely. So, that was sweet. so, so you, how many years did you say you got? No, I got eighteen months. Eighteen months, sorry. So and you'll say six six months in there. And and how many? I did six months on a tag. Oh, okay. I got the minimum sentence for that thing. It was you could have got four years, but the judge said, "Look, I don't really want to put you in jail." I had all my family. I've got three sisters, and a very loving family. My mom, my aunt, yeah. my cousin. 
everyone was in the court, Crown Court, Southwark Crown Court. He goes, I've never seen this much family. The first guy I shared a cell with in prison is Ginger Blood from Shepherd's Bush, who, who actually is the only person I ever see. I've seen him twice. And once I was walking with this girl out for a drink in Shepherd's Bush, and I heard, Stapleton, you, C-U-N-T. And it was him. He works in a fruit and veg store down there. <laughs> but anyway, I was, I was banged up with him. And he had a wife and kids. No, they didn't visit him. They didn't write to him. So you think, what the fuck's going on? And I found out mm. what, and I've actually found out he, he nicked articulated lorry with lots of um, goods in the back. Right. Right. And then he got chased and he disconnected. I don't know. Somehow he disconnected it and he was running the chase. He was, he was having a police chase and he was in the cab of the articulated yeah, yeah. lorry. And he just, just not very clever. Yeah, you know? So people go and drink 15 pints in the pub mm. and go and do some mad shit. You know? So, so when you you come out after eight and um, sorry six, six months, six months, what what's the first your first day out like when you first come I out? Came out, came out because basically I was there on remand for about four months. Uh, uh, so I was so I while I was waiting to go to court, mm. I was waiting. I was serving my sentence. Sure. So that was good in a way. And you can have your own clothes. You get more because you have a little bank account and you can have more money coming in and you can have more visits. But after a while, people start getting weird to you because you, you've got nice clothes. And so um, when I came out, so I walked out and then I got sentenced. I was in, I was in Wormwood Scrubs. I went to Wandsworth, which is like, you know, in EastEnders when you see prison, they've got a little prison they use in EastEnders. Yep. It's like that. It really, Wandsworth is really what you imagine prison. It's Victorian. It's like a kind of hexagon with like bits coming off and like pods, like an octopus kind of thing. And there's two levels and you go underground and it's all these brown tiles and just horrible place, but super clean. Yeah, super clean. And the food was really nice, like chicken and rice, but not big portions. But you tell someone's different management there. Yeah. But I said in Wandsworth, shit food, dirty place, but they run around like lunatics and they're quite lack, lack, what's the word? Lax. Lax, yeah. But in Wandsworth, at night time, you hear someone banging on the door, get me a fucking TV, my TV's not working, go hey, hey, screaming. And then five minutes later, you hear, ah, they beat the hell out of you. They, they are tough. It's tough in there. Yeah. Horrible. Um, so, and then I got sentenced and I got moved to the Isle of Wight. Um, now these prisons in London are B cats. A cat is a maximum security, like where Julian Assange has been kept. Yeah. Um, which is a C cat is kind of. And then you've got D cat, which is an open prison. So C cat, you could maybe have to cook your own food. Mm. Now I was. This is quite a funny little story. I was about to leave Wandsworth Prison. I've been sentenced. I got eighteen months. I've got to do two more months, and I'm being. So I'm in the place and they said to me, right, two people can go to, one person could go to Camp Hill, two people can go to the Mount. The Mount is in North London, so people could visit me easier. Yeah. Plus I know you can cook food there and I heard good things about it. People talk in jail like it's holiday resorts. <laughs> you know, oh, you got, oh, it's great there. It's great there. You only get locked up 24 hours there. It's locked. By the way, in, in if it, when you're on remand, you don't get education. So I was banged up 23 hours a day. Yeah, and then you you're allowed out to get your food, two floors at a time. You go back, you eat the food in your cell, and yeah. you might get 
gym 45 minutes twice a week so it's not but when you're sentenced you know how long you're there for you can get education you can have you can start building a life so 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 on remand you're, you're ticking off the time but you're there worrying about your case of course and you don't know so i got moved so this there was these two polish guys and me three of us waiting to go and they said right you're going to look no, they said to me, no, I can't remember what it was. I can't remember how many people, but there was a certain amount of spaces. And they said, I'm going to the Mount. One Polish guy was going to Camp Hill and one was going to the Mount. And the guy started crying, right? I don't know if he was doing a good show, but I, I think I'm a good reading. I, I, I read people quite well. Yeah. And he was upset because his family would not be able to go down there to visit him. And he, and his, and he loved his daughter. So I went, okay, you stay in the Mount with your mate. I'll go Camp Hill. And I thought, I was a sea cat. So it's good. So it wasn't too bad. And I thought, why not do a little nice thing for him, okay? Checking out, going into the little office where they check you out before you get in the van. I'm there. Anthony, is that you? Anthony. I went, what? Because don't you remember me? We used to drink together when we were 17 down at the Game Bird near Hawley in Crawley. It's like some up bloke who used to know me. It's theirs, the officer. He goes, how are you doing all that? And it was like, so it was something like, it was like having sex with someone and someone comes up and starts interviewing. It's like, <laughs> what, this is the wrong scenario. What's going, you know, it was yeah. weird. And he goes, where are you going? And I was going camp here. And he goes, oh, that's a shithole. If I'd known, I'd have sent you to the, to the mount. So that's all, that's like one of these, wah, wah, yeah. wah. You know, those kind of, those Lauren Hardy, you know, just so ridiculous that it's funny. Right. And then I'm standing there and the other guy didn't like me. He didn't like it. I was talking to him and he went, take your hands out your pockets and talking to the officer. So suddenly I'm in the, in the van looking for the sepia window going round Hammersmith roundabout. And I remember I've been in jail for five months. So it's not long, but it was normal. I saw this guy sitting there licking. It was, everything was in slow motion. <laughs> I saw someone walking a dog. I saw a couple. It was like everything was in this dream for the sepia window. Then we went down to Winchester, picked up some people. They got on. How long you got? I said, 18 months. He goes, ah, what you got? Three years. What you got? Doesn't say anything. Life. You know he's going to Albany. He's a murderer or he's a yeah, yeah, um, pedo. Yeah. So, you know, it's like you can't, when you're in jail, you don't really moan about your life, your life because everyone's in the same boat. So, when, so I'm coming out of Camp Hill Prison. My mum and my older sister are there to pick me up. In the waiting room is these two blokes. One of them is just like, He's not the cleverest of blokes. You know, a lot of people in jail, and you probably know this, are mentally ill, mate. Mm. They should be there. This, you know, if you tell me what's the one word I would do to describe prison, it's sad. It's sad that these people shouldn't even be there. And then you hear their life story. You know, I know. There are some wrongings in there, but it's they're not all like you think. So and then this guy goes, how are you getting? He goes, oh, I'll get a button. And this other guy I was talking to, but he was a bit rough. And I said, what are you doing? He goes, I don't know what I'm doing. I've got to get to this address. I've got to get on a ferry. got to go to mainland. Where's opposite Isle of Wight? Is it Portsmouth? Or... Yeah, it's Portsmouth, yeah. Oh, he's got, he's got like a hostel there. So he's come out after two years. He's going there, don't know nothing, no support, nothing. Nothing, 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 nothing. I've got my family to come out. I had more visitors in there. I had people visiting me in Wormwood Scrubs, like my friend... Uh, Paddy and um, Fred, they both went to Eton. Yeah, I've got people who are naughty boys, and I've got all sorts of friends there. Yeah? And they're like, Satonia, what's the food like in here? 
And I sang, and people were like on the other tables looking over. What? It, it was not. You did not hear these voices. Yeah. And I said, you just tone it down a bit, please, because you're people thinking I'm sort of sort of screw or something like that. So anyway, this guy on the Isle of Wight, and I said to him, I wanted to say to him, oh, we can give you a lift to the ferry. But I didn't want to ask him because I didn't want my mum and sister to be, he was a bit rough, this geezer. So yeah. I didn't, you know what I mean? Them. But I said, look, look, she goes, well, where's your friend going? I said, well, he's not really my friend. But she goes, oh, we give him a lift. And my mum and my sister, they're just like, my family, they're just good people. So suddenly we're down the ferry, we're on the ferry, and I'm sitting there. They go, here, here's a fiver. So I haven't seen the, I know this is not a big deal, but I hadn't seen any money. So I went along and bought the beer and it it just felt wrong. And I got back to their flat. She lives in Barnes by the river in West London. And I sat down and I just started shaking. And I got really upset and I started crying and all this. And it was just, just being around normal. You didn't yeah. realise it. So that's when you come out of Isle of, the Isle of Wight. You went back on the ferry and to Portsmouth and being around normal people and everything that seemed tight everything that seemed normal now did seemed alien to you. You don't take, you just, I mean, we don't realize the gifts that we've got, you know, the, you know, I mean, you probably realize your son, but these things, you don't realize the things we have until you, they're taken away. And then when they're given back to you, then you end up taking them for granted again. Mm. You know, we talked about this in the series, you know, if, if your body was like a car where if you abused it for a month and didn't put, or it would start breaking, we would be, everyone would be exercising, everyone would be eating their, their kale, everyone would be drinking their water, wouldn't we? But our bodies are so, our lives are so abusable. You know, you can be a heroin addict to your 40 and then probably go on to be a personal trainer or something, you know? Our bodies are just too good. And, you know, we're fed up about something. You know, some people might say they're poor, for example, when they're only going skiing twice a week. And some people might say they're poor when they can't afford to, when they have to go without food and they have to feed their kids, you know. So what was it like when you you sitting there shaking around your sisters and your mum then first well, they few weeks out? Yeah. I mean, no, I, you know, when, when people came to see me in jail, I was really animated. I was chatty because I was so excited to see them and they could buy sandwiches. So I was there eating five Snickers and, yeah. and I had maybe 30 different people come to visit me. I had angels i was writing letters all the time i mean when's the last letter writing is a beautiful thing actually it's so much more meaning in writing a letter to someone than an email or anything yeah. imagine someone wrote your hand imagine if i wrote instead of rang out and wrote a handwritten letter you'd be like wow you know it just doesn't happen but then and you're it's like you're in a it's like you're dead you kind of it's like you're not in society so you're seeing everything like from a different perspective when you come out here, it changes. It's a little bit like, you know, when you're on holiday and you go, oh, when I go back, I'm going to do that and you do this because you're away from it. But then you go back to it and you fall into the same old thing. You know, this was, I don't know if you remember when Leona Lewis won the X Factor. Yeah. Leona Lewis. That was the year I was in jail. Right. And so... when she was on, you know, she was, she had a wicked voice. Didn't yeah, she? She, she was, was like great, an yeah. angel. She was like an, in the prison, she was like an angel to the prisoners. And when she came on, when you like something, say it's football or something, everyone bangs on the doors. Right. Imagine 300 people banging yeah. on the doors. The whole prison's going mental with Leona Lewis, you know, <laughs> doing snow patrol, whatever. <laughs> and then on the final, I was filling because you get portable TVs. Why do they have TVs in prison? It's a pacifier. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Why do they have TV out here? It's a pacifier. Um, and why do they have tobacco in prison to pacify? 
people. So you get a little 14-inch TV. Remember the old one? You remember the one you used to have in your bedroom? Yeah, you saved absolutely. Up, you got it from Argos or, you know, Curry's or whatever it was. Uh, Dixon. And so I'm filling around with it. And I've got a glass of water in my hand, right? I shared 17 different cells. I was in 17 different cells in three prisons with 27 different people. Jesus. Right? 25 of them were all right. Because I'm all right. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing. If you're a good person in life, right? I mean, I'm not saying I'm a good person, but if you're just quite nice to people and got good morals, no matter what a situation you are, the universe will find some way to help you. Do you know what I mean? It will, some random person will come in. And if you're an arsehole, you're going to find the opposite. So I just said, don't let me be locked up all day and night with someone who's a fucking nightmare. And I only shared that with two people. One of them was a bloke from Shepherd's Bush, and he was a little bit like me. He was a raver. And we had a good laugh. But then he was also mental. Right? So he came in. And we got, you know, a big, big, heavy door. So he did. You know when someone comes in the room, and they kick the door, burst, and they come in like a joke. Ah! So he bursts the door open and comes in. X Factor final knocks me. The water goes all over the TV. The water, the TV cuts out. <laughs> he fucked the TV, and it was. I can't describe the feeling. It was just yeah. like the colour drained out of me. <laughs> so we picked up. We put on the heater, and we left it for two hours upside down. And then we heard all the the music, the X Factor music. So we switched it, plugged it in. And it came back on and it worked, right? Because, but seriously, you ain't getting another. If you went, excuse me, to the officers. Uh, and I said to one once, for cheers, mate. He goes, I'm not your mate. I said, sorry, I've just, this is how I talk to people in the street. So I've forgotten that I'm in prison. All right. But he said, can I have another TV, please? You ain't getting one. And people were assholes in prison. I remember this one, this, these two guys, their prison, their TV broke. So when you go out for association, this is when you go out and play pool. You can ring your girlfriend. You can, you know. They went into the cells. Open. They went into the next enough someone to sell. Nick their TV, swapped it with a dodgy one. So imagine the people come back, turn yeah. the TV on, you know. They so you're, you're out now. You're out and you've kind of like, when did you start to kind of think, I need to, I want to do something different with my life and get into healthy well, living and a healthy and mindset? What was, where was the kind of gap between before, when you come out and when you kind of got into that and started to go in a different direction for yourself? Because yeah. you could have gone back to, to doing what you were doing I before. My friend, it, was, it wasn't like, oh, there was a gang of people going, you've got to come back for workers first, do one more. It's not like that. It was my mate. Yeah. Right? But I kind of realised... There's nothing wrong with what I'm doing, but it's not exactly the most challenging thing. Do you know what I mean? Being in lockups at four in the morning and in meeting articulate lawyers and shitting myself. You know, just lots of things which weren't I dealt with, but they, they, you know, they, they, they stored up. So I felt the main reason was I always felt quite unloved and poor me and sad and depressed. And my family, I come from a broken home. My dad's died and you know, whatever. My story, we all got that sad story. And I really realised in jail that I was very lucky and I was very much loved. My, I got three sisters and a mum. My sister used to park outside the prison and just sit in her car crying. They really loved me. People really loved me. So I realised that was my gift. I realised it wasn't true what I told myself. Okay, And even though I didn't feel there's anything wrong morally with what I was doing, I didn't want to hurt them. Yeah. 
it was the right move. And then my sister and I, then I stayed on a tag in West London with a uh, with a tag six months. And during this time, I was jogging because I got quite fattened. Before I went to jail, I was going to the gym. But, you know, not seriously. Just going to the gym a couple of times a week. Uh, and I got... I'm a, you can tell, I'm a slim guy. I'm normally about 12 stone. I came out of jail just under 14 stone. I was like a mushroom. I'd sat in the dark and eaten <laughs> white bread <laughs> and shitty food. Yeah. A bit like you and Elliot and Tesco when we, when we came <laughs> up. You know what? I was ill, to be fair. So you... Um... So you've come out and you've tried to change your way. And, and when did you? To... Sorry, when sorry, did you start? My... Uh, go on, you finish that that sentence. Sorry, I, I, I'm unprofessional to the public. You're meant to wait till the person finishes before you speak. Instead of what people these days, they they don't really listen to you. They're just waiting to speak. <laughs> sorry, my sister said to me, "Why don't you become a personal trainer?" My older sister. Right. And it was like me saying to you, "You're stopping all this filmmaking. You're going to open a butcher's, aren't you?" Okay, maybe you, no. You might that might be secret. You're going to become a veterinarian. It was something very. It was like no. Something out the left field, yeah. Yeah, and I, then I thought, well, do you know what? I'm into kind of because I've always like I've never been a gym person, but I've always liked going. In the mat, I spent a lot of time in India, in the nineties. Yep. I went traveling for ten years. You know, a bit of a hippie over there, and I spent a lot of time walking in the mountains. So I like trekking. I like snow, but I like kind of activities, swimming. And I thought. I no, I knew there's something about me. I had a natural, caring side to me. Sure. Yeah. So I thought, okay. So I had a bit. I had a few grand left over. So I spent three grand on this course. Now you can get them for free. <laughs> um, and I was really lucky because my brother-in-law was really high up in a chain of really well-known chain of gyms. So when you've got a criminal record. Uh, this is after probation. I was on probation for six months. I had to go to probation. Who's there? Australian guy with dreadlocks. So how are you this week? I go, good. See you next week. And that was all it was. Um, what were we talking about? I so you're on probation. So how did you kind of, your sister's told you to, oh, to, yeah, yeah. to be so, a to fitness co- coach and you're kind of changing direction in your life there. Yeah. So my brother-in-law worked in the gym. So he sponsored me. He went in and said, I want this to give this guy a job. And I'm I'm not sponsoring, but what's the word for it? Um, I'm a reference for him. Sure, yep. yeah. And so the guy in the manager, I mean, his boss of his boss, his boss said, give him an interview. And he asked me, what what's possession B class? And I told him I was caught with some puff, 12 kilos. And that was fine. So I'm 38 years old. You're the age, kind of the age you are now. Yeah. Thought I was really old. Now it's really young. I remember in jail, this woman said to me, I said, well, my life's fucking over, isn't it? My life's over. I'm in here. She goes, no, you're so young still. You can do anything you want. You do meet some angels. Wherever you go, if you're good, you meet angels. Yeah? Or you meet the angelic in people. Someone will be there. In Wandsworth, there's this girl in there. And obviously, I was a young viewer. Well, not young, but, you know, I was a bit of a ladies' man. Or, or you know, I like, you know, I like being around women. Suddenly, you're around the ugly, 300 ugly blokes every day. It's horrible. But in Wandsworth, there's this screw they call them and she was beautiful mixed race woman and she was gorgeous no matter where she was now can you imagine the stick she got absolutely yeah and so how do you think she was do you think she was all laid back she was absolute you know what so one day she said but you're moving to a wing one hour and this a wing or whatever it was i knew it's where all the all the fight fights happened there's trouble and there was another wing where the kind of older quieter crew 
I said, please, can you send me notes? She just goes, you're going there. There's nothing you can do about it. Which is really harsh. And I sat there. Then 10 minutes later, she comes back. She goes, okay, you can go there. So she she knew I was actually something nice about me. And I had a little sweet face or something. And yeah. so she... And she had something I mean? nice about her. She just had to yeah, someone she break did through it, to She it. couldn't show it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you brought that I mean, out well, of her. Why get that job? Why get that job? And you get some women who are kind of, shall we say, mutton dressed as lamb. And they get a job in there because they get all the attention. If you're an ugly woman, you're going to get attention in there. <laughs> get a job in the prison. There's one woman who used to be quite high up and she was down on the one stripe because she was caught in the broom cupboard banging one in. She was banging, an in, banging the inmates. That's why they call them the inmates. Um... So, so then I worked in that gym. Yeah. Five pounds an hour. And I did all the really important jobs that you do in health and fitness, like scrubbing skirting boards. Had a thing called the masher to unblock the toilets because it was kind of um, Victorian this is in Bayswater in West London and it was part of a spa yeah um, it's like a Russian steam rooms so it's like a whole complex it had like a um, Amy Winehouse did one of her last gigs in there in this ballroom and then there's a steam room then there's a library and there's a gym it's an old building so I worked in there and I became a gym instructor I showed how the people to do all the lap pull down and the chest press and the neutral spine. And then I started doing a personal training uh, aspect of it. And I met people like boxers. People did like Chinese kickboxing, mixed martial arts. And I dabbled in lots of things. Met this guy who was really into f- functional movement, correcting how you move. And then went to work in this club in West London called the Park Club and worked there for 10 years with lots of outdoor space where I trained James Cracknell and I, I did, um, became a kettlebell teacher and I took classes. And I'd always been interested in food. So, you know, there's a million personal trainers, but I really believe if I was to help you, not just the exercise, I know by making you eat that and getting to sleep and, uh, you know, the holistic approach like we're talking about in the series. It seems the obvious way. And then I left there four years ago and, and I started making my health foods about six years ago. And, and then I thought, oh, my God, this is an amazing product. No one sells things this good. But I didn't realize about how business works. And as you know, it's the best things aren't the most popular, are they? Absolutely. You know what? What I, I find um, like I admire you for is the amount of work you put into your like your Twitter account, the video editing, the creativity that you have to kind of put yourself from a filmmaker's point of view in shots and in shots within shots. So you kind of make a world within I've, your, the promos that you do, you shoot on your own. I know you make do all the camera work, all the editing on your own and the creativity you have. And, and it's not often you find someone who's older than myself, who's got that and still keeps that. You do have a kind of I'm like a, bit a, of a freak. I'm a bit of a weird one. But you have, you still have a kind of like child-like heart about the world, I feel. Thank you, sir. That's a beautiful thing, really nice thing to say. And, well, we grew up like that. Like, Arthur's got that, hasn't he? He, like, he has. He, yeah, he, yeah. And then, uh, but he hasn't really got personality. They say you're kind of, your ego doesn't really come into about your six or seven. So he, when he plays with something, he doesn't know the difference between playing with you and playing with him. No. It's all a beautiful fantasy world. And then suddenly... We're told not the thing like that, and then clouds. But there's a Buddhist saying that if you're really lucky, you spend half your life becoming something, and then the second half unbecoming it. Okay. You know, we get a bit, we zoom out to the bigger picture now. We come into these bodies, we experience this like the rover on Mars, and we, and then we leave, and this is just one. And I, and I'm 
from what I've read and what I believe, you know, this is just a blink. This whole life is a blink in infinite, beautiful story that we're not told. Okay. So as I get older, I want to become lighter. I want that innocence back. Even though I'm 51 now and, you know, I'm a bit haggard or whatever, <laughs> I feel like all the things that I used to be into, like music, uh, creating, but I didn't think I was an artist because I didn't come from an artist background. Mm. Do you know, you didn't, if you don't think it, then you probably won't be it. It's a good point, Tony. You just mentioned there, and we spoke about this, me and Robin Kelly in the last episode. Creativity isn't the same as artistic, is it? Well, creativity is just, we're here to to come up with ideas and turn these from from being waveforms into particles, you know, a little yeah. bit like how everything manifests through sacred geometry. It's the particle that comes into the physical reality. So we are here to live. We're here. I believe this is a training ground for angels, basically. And you're here to love. And that sounds cheesy. But the truth, when you get into it, is a little bit cheesy, you know. When you zoom out, you know, we can be talking about vaccines, but we talk, we zoom out, and people are talking about actually we're changing into something else. Mm. You know, so you can zoom. This is what I like thinking about. Maybe we zoom in or we zoom out from things. And at the moment, I'm zooming out. Yeah, and so, and also I've realized there's lots of people I'm meeting now in their 20s, and I can help them. I don't really don't see myself as a big deal or anything, but I've, I'm still quite, not the word cool, but they can relate to me and I can give, surely that's what we do with wisdom. We pass it on to people so they don't have to make the same mistakes. Absolutely, we suffer yeah. to ease other people's suffering. You yeah. suffer in life so you can pass on good things to Arthur, no? Well, this is why I wanted to speak to you so much because obviously you've been through that and I know it was only a tiny amount of time in, in a sense of the grand scheme of things, yeah. but it's still a world away from where you are and you could have also slipped into a life that's completely opposite to where you are now. And you did at some point just go another way. And I there was, have, yeah, you could have. I you could, could have punched someone in the face and killed them, or some, or done. You know, anger. Every I've been in love with some beautiful people, and anger or or insecurity, negative self-esteem. What is self-esteem? It's the voice you talk to yourself. You know, I'm feeling good. I'm going to do this. You know, you get that creative spark, and then you might get so. You know, self low self-esteem. I'm not good enough. I can never do that. Comparing self, we all got it. Yeah. And I, I think really what's happened in the last year is it's galvanized. I think you feel it as well. It's, you're galvanized. You know who you are now. Yeah. And you know what you're not. And when you go to prison, you see, oh, my God, you see what you are. And I really feel positive now. And, like, you know, we've all been doing the same thing for a year, just absolutely blown away by the craziness that's coming from the people in, in power. Yeah. yeah? And even so, you're doing a postcard saying, what well, the actual fuck. Now, really, you can't even do that postcard. I mean, it'd be, it'd be eight hours long. But now it's gone to the point, Richard, it's like, I don't care what they're doing anymore. I'm not part of these people. I'm part of our side. And we are creating the new world. Maybe not for, we might not see it, but our, your son will or his yeah. children were. This is the disgusting turning point And this huge, ancient, multi-dimensional incredible story i mean that's what i believe and i believe it was always fucked up before we're always being controlled but now it's obvious to a lot more people and every i remember we when we did that series it was six months ago it seems like five years ago to me yeah 
I've changed so much as a person. The only thing I didn't like about it in that series is a few things I touched on that I just got into that I didn't feel I expressed as clearly as I'm expressing things now about the epigenetics and, you know, about how the subconscious, all the Bruce Lipton stuff, basically. So what keeps but, you what keeps you learning, though? Why, why I do don't you, know, but at the moment... Why do you want to just... Because you're still fascinated by life, aren't you? I just really enjoy life, you know. I said, I said, you know, most guys my age, I've never been married. I've never had a kid. I really thought when I was 21, I love kids. Mm. And I'm a really loving person. But I was so fucked up in my personality that I meet these relationships. And I don't... And people... I mean, everyone's been it. But there's someone you love and you love that part of them. But there's this fucked up part with them. But you see the fucked up parts. But that person's in the duality. It's either in one or the other. It doesn't... And they're yeah. really nice to you. When they're really nice to you, they're like, yeah, but I'm not like that all the time. Or... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Eventually, yeah. the person is either a victim and they put up with it, or they turn around. So I've really had some, been with some lovely people, and they've walked away with me, or that you know, I've I've lost out through my unresolved emotional traumas that I project that I looked at. And if, you know, I've got a beautiful girl, but everything's good, then I don't think she loves me, or I think she's going to leave me, or she's going to cheat. All these things I learned from watching my parents do the same thing, you know. It's fascinating, isn't it, to see how we kind of become a microcosm of that. And then, in, I mean... You pass it on. You pass it on, yeah. And I think, I mean, as we've chatted before, I've made a kind of, a couple of years ago, made a massive change in what I was doing. I was always doing this sort of stuff. Yeah, I haven't drunk for a couple of years and I'll never will do again. But um, that's just one thing. It was an issue. But I think what kind of fascinates what what we do, what me and you have so in common is that we genuinely don't like it when other people feel uncomfortable or left out. And I hate people. Do you know what I mean? I don't like people being left out. And yeah. it's sensitivity. I'm sensitive. It's such a unsensitive, you know, it's kind of put down, but it means you're feeling what's going on around you. You're not closed up. You're thinking, oh, I don't want to do that for Tony because you're caring. And what happens to these people in the world? Most of them get shat on. Or it's taken as a weakness. It's not, though. Kindness, compassion, giving people the chance. Um, not giving up on people. Um, listening. These are all incredible human traits. And when we talk about it, you feel that kind of power, you know, and that's infinite. You can tap into it. And our hearts, it's an endless resource. We can only hate to a certain level. So, yeah, I mean, things are going well for me now. I'm quite busy with clients. I really feel like I know what I'm doing and I'm helping people. But, you know, I've had a terrible lonely year, you know. You know, I haven't seen anyone. Yeah. You know, I'm training some clients now, one-to-one. -one, and I go to their farm and see them, and that's really nice. But, you know, I love, on the other side of loneliness, if anyone out there is feeling lonely, you know, no one loves me on my own, you can actually feed it like a physical, like you're sick. And I really believe without love and affection, it's like sunlight or, or you know, it's not good for us. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Imagine you didn't see Arthur for six months. You know, you'd yeah. be dying. You'd be physically, do you know what I mean? So yeah. I miss getting a hug or a cuddle or... But then I also realise I'm at the age now well, I'm a little bit invisible at 51, you know. People don't really care about, you know. You know, it's what we're talking about. The most vulnerable suicide, I think, it's from 45 to 49. Even though this pandemic, the people, the age group that's been affected most, 
is not the elderly people who are a little bit stoic and they put up with shit and they probably know what's been going on there's nothing it's the 18 to 24 year olds who can't mm. handle it who haven't been through tough times who are so offended by everything open to all the information but doing nothing about any of it you know well this is Sam to me Smith. like there's a there, there's a um there's a yeah the sam smith yeah too right there's these are similar there's a correlation there between when you kind of you went or someone who goes in prison to the people that have gone into lockdown now everything they knew was normal as you said earlier was taken away from them completely taken away from them this is not a normal way to live for 24 months ago this would have been unbelievable if you explained to them oh yeah people seem well, to feel like ago, the science wasn't even around was it yeah, well, it's barely around now. I don't. I'm not sure what science they're actually using, but it's um, or the signs, so as you say. Ooh, yeah, I think it's so. Twenty four. Then now they've people feel like they're in a prison sentence, but it's a prison sentence that keeps getting elongated because you're trusting the wrong people to get you out of it. Do you think there's a time? I bring it to the present, where you think people will wake up to realise that the these prison guards are actually psychopaths and they're not going to let you out if you ask them. There's going to have to be a way out for humanity that it's, takes Have you ever seen that takes interview it. from 1959 with Aldous Huxley where he talks about the second wave of fascism and he talks about how... This is 1959. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he talks about... He talks about what's happening now and there might be a new... Fascism might come again, but it won't be like it was before. It will be smooth. It would be with PR. And it's so slick. I mean, we're in fascism now. Yeah, we but it's got such slick PR that and there's the other thing if if boris johnson went on tv tomorrow or the queen and said listen we are now on zero covid we stamped it out everything is opening up tomorrow we're back to normal how what percentage of the population are still going to be shit themselves and wear masks well absolutely because the you, job has you, been done you say the that inflation has been done forget covid yep what has happened to people extreme things that never would have happened Yep, and you say that, you're totally on. Minnesota, I think it is today, um, in the US, said that they're going back to normal, completely back to normal, and people are, are shitting their knickers about it. And it's like, you ask for this, you get given it, then you shit your knickers about it. And it's it's madness. Not all people, but that's a little chink in, in the light there, because thought... people can follow that. But people are, as you just said, it's like you've opened the door for the freedoms to the tr- prison cell, and they've gone, actually, I've become climatized to this now and people are gonna think this is normal now and stay in it it's it's a comfort zone look at the end of the day we're tribal people we're suited to kind of hanging out between two between a hundred and in a few hundred Mm. and when you get over that it all starts going mental okay we're tribal people yeah and we're subordinate people we actually i think why do people come to my class right well i'm I'm training if i'm training someone for six years i think why don't they just do it themselves well, one, because they're lazy, but two, people like not having to think. Like a child. Do you remember when you were a kid and mum and daddy did everything for you? You just didn't have to worry. You can sit there and watch. The... And then suddenly when life got a bit crap and you realise, oh, my God, you've got to do everything yourself. Yeah. But people want to be like that. They want to be like, we know things are bad, but you'll be OK. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. one of the most annoying things. How they use all that war shit on people. All that... Vera Lynn, fight them on the beaches. Mm. They use that. We're winning the battle and all. They use all that. Yeah, propaganda. front line workers is actually a term from 1984. Huh. And and the double speak, and and the, 
the thing I, I've actually sat days crying about this when I see what they've done to the old people. Yeah, it's good. They might not be the most open-minded, you know, multi-dimensionally understanding about ascension or this. You know, they've had their normal lives. You know, the Radio Times and especially down here in Cheltenham, it's very middle-class conservative, but they're good people yeah. who are terrified. I think if you take it from 100% down to 10%, that's probably realistic. I think everything's being ramped up a thousand percent. Absolutely. Starting from that idiot, Neil Ferguson. Like, I don't know if you watch UK Column, but yeah. one of the guys, I really like those guys, by the way. I think they're sweet guys. But the American guy on it, I really like. And he, he did a bit of digging into him. He's not even an epidemiologist. He's got no history in epidemiology. He's got no um, qualifications in, stu- in modelling. Mm-hmm. And he's got his PhD in physics. Yeah. Yeah, because he's he's a puppet and they just use him to bash out some numbers of some computer models that are always wrong. But, you know, as you know, there's five things that are just blatant. False modelling. Mm-hmm. Because on the Friday, we were going to go into distancing and do the herd thing. And then on Sunday, on Monday, we were doing the Wuhan. Yeah. Then there's the PCR tests, which are not testing for coronavirus, and they're not used. They're not even meant to be using a contagious disease. No. And so they just, they just, you know this. They're just finding shit that's in our bodies. Yeah. Then you're positive, and why have you had that test? Because you're sick and you're in hospital. Yeah. And then you die of cancer two weeks later, and you're COVID death. Yeah. Okay. But if you have a vaccine now, and you die the next day, yeah, or you die of cancer. Absolutely. It's so just funny back. I'm not you? saying that I think this the ONS, they do some really good work and they think they're good people at the ONS. It's just as you know, give me numbers and I'll give you what you want, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's sad and it's a real, real sad so, situation. So if you take the flu away, there's been no flu, is there? Because no. some people say, Oh, it's because we wear masks. Well, what about the countries where they didn't lock down? No, because other epidemiologists <laughs> I spoke to, they say with a new, if there is something new, and I know David doesn't even agree, but if there is a new novel virus, it normally, it's like some bit of crumpet walking in the bar. So they're yeah. all oh, the new talents here and all the others. Back and now, you know what they're saying? Oh, we're going to have a, we're going to have a flu epidemic next year. You know, they right. they're start that one. So if you take, say the 30,000 people who would have died of flu and you take away all the false positives and all the false things. Yeah. It's not much left, is it? It's called, Bad science takes mm. over the flu season. Absolutely. With a little bit of spice of propaganda on the top. Yeah. And do That's you, how I see it. Do you think there's a point where people are going to wake up to this? I mean, what disappoints me, a lot of people have, but there is still no movement on this because, in a sense. I'm sorry, those who do not want to change, let them sleep. Rumi said that, the poet, yeah? This is how I am now. It's not arrogant. It's just because I thought, if I'm lucky, really lucky, I've got 40 years in this planet, yeah? I've got, I haven't got time. Yeah. But you know when someone's really fast asleep yeah, and you try to wake them up, they normally get the right hump, mm. okay? There's so many people who want to wake up, Richard, and maybe they watch Glitch in the Code. Maybe they watch, they get on Iconic and watch um, what the great documentaries are there. Maybe they listen to David. Maybe they listen to something when, because they're ready to hear it, yeah? Then if you're not open, you, if it is open, you aren't going to hear it. Yeah. If your eyes aren't open, you're not going to see it. So... And it's not a case of, well, fuck them. They are us. Feel sorry for them. They don't know what you did. You didn't know at one point, okay? Mm. Doesn't make us any better or worse. In fact, it's like a goddamn burden sometimes, isn't it? 
Oh, it is. Yeah, but there it... is there is this massive change going on of good versus evil, whatever you want to call it. God versus the devil, good versus evil, and these fuckers are trying to squash us down. And will everyone wake up? Uh, listen, if you were my older sister and her husband, they worked in a big company, and now they're working from home. Life's got better for them yeah. because they're not traveling 15 hours a week. And they live in the country. They've got a horse. They've got a dog. My mum's there as well. Imagine if they... So why do they have to look? Why do you have to look outside the mainstream narrative? Yeah, if you're comfortable, yeah? Why do you have to look that guy's... Why, if I'm sitting here nice on the boat, I don't have yeah. to look over there that guy's drowning. Because okay? the main thing is to worry about future generations. It's not about what you've got now. It's what they're going to have in 20 years' time because look yeah. at how what's happened in 12 months. Double, like Triple that. Where yeah, do you think we're going to be meant, for the what kids? It was, what it meant was, if you're comfortable, normally what happens in life, discomfort happens. Yeah? Discomfort, they say, is the age. Something happens. Yeah. Someone dies, you get into trouble. And from that, I mean, most of the people you've interviewed, I think they've had some sort of trouble or strife, yeah. which yeah. has caused them to... Look into most other... Most people I respect have had really... They've overcome situations, learned from it, and used that, passed that knowledge on, right? Imagine if... Like another mate of mine who's got a gym opens in 2018 with two mates their dream all put their money in got finally opened this amazing gym lockdowns happen right their landlord is some big corporation doesn't give them one pen, pence off mm. and and because they haven't done their first year's tax return yet they're one of these you know there's a certain six i think six million people in this country who did not get any conversation they got nothing yeah. rich so he's now driving for amazon okay right he, these people, because they've suddenly been put into the thing, are looking into things outside the narrative. So my, my long-winded way of saying, when are people going to, when is the mask going to wake up? When they're put, made so uncomfortable that they have to start looking into things because they won't look into things else. Yeah, and that's why they're doing the universal basic income and all of this stuff to keep people classified. It's the TV in the prison cell, isn't it? Well, yeah. Basically, I mean, let's just see when it all opens up. If it does, what's going to happen now? The great reset. I mean, I've got a feeling there's going to be this big crash, economic crash soon. You know, where they're getting all this money from? And I think I don't know. It was like eight down nine percent. I don't know, but nine percent on the GDP is big news. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, they're that, borrowing it off the banking the families. Today, but yeah. he basically said, "Listen, we're skint for a few years now." Mm. Yeah, and and you know as we talked about, it makes me. I don't know what the fallout from this mental health thing is going to be. All this, mate. I know most people have had a lot of few wobbly days of mental health. All of us, yeah, people who are stoic and strong. Hmm. And this, I don't mean negative, but when it all opens up, I think there's going to be you know all the numbers or the people who haven't been treated and. Just insanity. I mean, I saw in one report where they reckoned they worked out how many people lockdown had saved in the UK. It was something like 60 people or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. You it's, know, it's with the real insane. numbers. And people aren't interested in the real numbers. Not even, I mean, how many of the politicians in the government? There's probably about 50 of them have got a bit of a clue. The rest of them are just going along with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's a shame. And it's it's a shame that we've come this far and allowed it to go on this this long so 
with what you're doing, how have you kept yourself sane the last 12 months? You said you haven't seen many people. I mean, you, well, we were there for a week filming with you. I've kept in contact with you and we speak quite often. But how have you kept yourself um, well, sane? Well, I'm lucky because I, I, as when this lockdown happened, I knew a lot of people were stressed out. And I started doing these free workouts on Zoom for people. And I stopped them after the series because I've realized if so, you think, okay, if you give someone the free to someone, they're going to take it up. No, I've offered certain people free training and stuff and they don't appreciate it. I think we're taught when you pay for something, you have to appreciate. I don't know what it is. But I started, look, listen, I'm doing all these workouts. I wake up in the morning. I do not want to do the workout, but I always feel better. So yeah. me doing these three workouts, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, every week, has been a bit of help me anchor. Going up the hill and just on the other side of loneliness, I, I started saying this earlier. If anyone's, if anyone's lonely out there and these horrible feelings, yeah, don't give up because on the other side of loneliness, if you're a Christian, they'd say you find God. Well, no, God, it's a bit of a loaded word. But on the other side of loneliness, you'll find solitude. That means when you're happy and you're uncomfortable, I get excited thinking, oh, I'm going to go out and video that and I get it back and I'll change the color. This, I've got the excitement for life at the moment, not all the time. Mm. All I need now is a nice girlfriend and then it'll be... Uh... So did you do you think... Um... You, that's a great saying. On the other side of loneliness, you'll find solitude. Do you think you you learnt that to to be on your own in solitude I, I was, through prison, or was it something you've always before had? Before prison, I remember I had a girlfriend, and I said, "I don't know what to do today," and I wasn't with her. She goes, "Why don't you drive to Brighton?" I said, "I can't go. To, I'm not going to Brighton and sit on the beach on my own. I would never have done that. Or to go out for a meal and sit in a restaurant on my own. I was always happier around people, and I think a lot of people like that." Because once, if you don't like your own company, why is that? Because you're full of shit. <laughs> you're full of all these horrible things in your head, talking to you, saying bad things about you. And sometimes, especially as guys, we might be all like, oh, God, I'm really sad about her. All right, mate, yeah, yeah, I'll come. You know, we put on this bravado. Yeah. And I think if you have been living in this bravado, kind of being a bit of a geezer or a bit of a bullshit, bullshitter, I think that's all been revealed during this lockdown, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it has. You what's know, what, strange times. What's not real has fallen away, and I think people have really had to see. Well, these people say, listen, if I had more time, I would do the ex... Well, you haven't done anything for a year. Yeah. You're sat in your bum. Hmm. One thing I've noticed is I've got Netflix now. Do you have Netflix? We do have Netflix, yeah. And, and at the beginning, you know, you watch one episode, and it goes, next episode. Yeah. I was going to post that, but how quick is that? Oh, yeah. You don't get a chance to go. And I've just watched Cobra Kai. In, I've watched, I'm on halfway through series three and I started on Saturday. And it's Wednesday. So I yeah. don't watch that stuff, but I've just watched 30 episodes. I don't know how it got onto this. <laughs> well, no, it's a good point because um, um, the guy, Addiction. the CEO of Netflix, his uncles were Edward Bernays and Sigmund Freud. Ah, my favourite, Edward Bernays. So it's a propaganda, it's a. It's a, the psychology behind Netflix is huge. This guy had his uncle, your great great uncles or his uncles were at Sigmund Freud and Edward Bernays who came up with propaganda and, and designed what way propaganda works now. You've got two guys there that were clearly capable of installing that in their great grandson. The psychology. So Netflix has the psychology right through it. It's it's a completely you don't get as big as Netflix without playing the game and and I think that's what you've just said there. People are just addicted to that i do have you noticed one question i wanted to ask you before we go the people are i've tried to speak to people and said like don't stop watching the news stop watching the news stop watching the news it's like they're addicted to the fear of news 
because they want the news to tell them it's ever going to be all right and it's like trying to ask a ask an abusive partner to stop because they'll stop but waiting for them to stop these people keep going back to the news i've had people take the vaccine knowing everything i've told them from day one and still my gone ahead it. my mum's had it okay she's 75 i've been looking after her for a year i don't wear a mask okay mm. why me neither am i an asshole no because they do nothing it's a joke it's the, it's the most terrible science absolutely i mean i've been watching quite a lot of that guy Ivor cummins mm-hmm. yeah who's been really looking at the stats anyone wants to check out the real stats check out Ivor cummins on youtube who's been not to listen to what they say he's been looking at the data and he's he's not into he's not zooming out like us but he's a clever guy and he's ripped it he's just ripped it apart all yeah. of it yeah yeah so but people say, right now are on. struggling. So let's talk about Heal Thyself before we go, because I want to get on to where you are now. Yeah. When you started the company and where you are now, what what kind of, um, what's your goal with it? How do you want to My help people? It's really simple. It's really simple. I want to help people move, eat, and feel good, okay? I believe it's your birthright to feel good. I, believe it. I remember someone, someone said to me, feeling good is your natural state of mind. And I went, what? Because I was also depressed, but... I know that, look, anyone who knows a bit about health and wellness would look at this whole thing that's going on and laugh at it, yeah? You know, as I talked about in the first episode, we're a sick country. We don't, you know, people live to 85 or whatever, but they're only healthy into the late 60s. Mm. You know, it's pills and surgery. It's big pharma for the last 100 years. So, you know, Hippocrates was saying it 3,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago, you know, to, to find the best way. To health and well-being is a little bit of exercise and eating certain things so we take care of how we move we eat not all the time but we eat certain nutrients and with more than not we take care and resolve uh, how we think and feel we're going to enjoy life more and it will help prevent disease and more the hospitals and all this do it's just dealing with illness we need to nurture and let people flourish and thrive you know like your child you're giving him certain things because you want him to get strong. You take him to the beach. You're giving him, you're programming, programming him. And unfortunately, people, just like people have been spiritually starved and mentally starved, they've been nutritionally starved. In yeah. prison, there's people, I mean, I remember one day I got bang on my Delson. They said, there's a, deli- there's a delivery for you. I went, oh, my God, because I, re- I was into music and I ordered a CD player Yeah. because I had five CDs. So I went down there to get a CD player. While I was out there, I saw all the bags of what people have ordered, their canteen with their cigarettes. It's anything you can buy in a sweet shop. And it was my mum's lemonade, custard creams, just sh- crap you might eat at a kid's, just crap. And this is what these people eat all the time. By the way, when I went down, to, I thought my stereos arrived. I got down there and then and they went, there you go. Gave me an envelope. I thought, what's this? So where's the stereo? And I opened it up, and there's a band called The Roots. Yep. Rap band. Yeah, they're on Jimmy Kimmel live. Really good, like live. My favorite band, yeah? And it was a ticket for The Roots for the next week. And he goes, listen, we're, we're all going to The Roots. We're so sorry you can't join us, but we bought you a ticket anyway. Right. So I'm thinking I'm picking up a CD player. Yeah. And I'm beginning with a ticket. For a concert, <laughs> my favourite band, yeah. and I can't see, so I went, oh, and he goes, no, no, you can't have it, mate. You might pass it around to someone and use it as that. So it really was like, 
You know, it was like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's this about? Yeah. But I got off target there. Well, no, it's just the, the disappointment of it. Also, Tony, where can people find your, your work? Where can people join well, and come new enroll in your program? Now. I mean, forget glitching the code and, and all your work. This is taking down the internet. I've got 12 subscribers. I'm Tony going to Robbins is asking me, been ringing me up saying, how do I do it? I've got 12 subscribers. So, and do you know, by the way, there's someone else called Heal Thyself on YouTube with about 50,000 subscribers with the logo the same as me as a doctor or something. Okay. So if anyone wants to find her, I'm starting to put up these videos of... There's things like Qigong up there. There's there's uh, sound baths. There's a video I've made just of ponies. I've made, you know, just relaxing the trees. And yeah. there's all these follow-along workouts from really tough workouts, if you're seasoned, you know how to use a kettlebell, to a workout that's six minutes long, and it's just stretching. Even you could do it, Rich, one day. I know. Or Mr. Cheeser could do it. <laughs> but... Well, I've been doing so a lot of yoga, so I'm more... So you, can just go, you can just search heal thyself, healthy self, one word, Tony Stapleton, and then you should see the logo like that. Yep. And there. Or you can go to healthy self, Dr. Dad, I've got a new website up because I've just been spammed by all these people saying, unless you follow us, we're going to spam you with porn and shut your website. There's some real weird people out there. <laughs> but I've got a new website called healthy self, Dr. Day, and you can buy, I've got two really super health, the best health food products in the world there. And there, listen, I'll put this out there. If anyone's down, doesn't know what the hell they're doing with health and fitness and really wants to speak to no one, someone knows, I've got an hour of my time for you, yeah? You go to my website, you fill out the form and say, Tony, can you give me some help, All right? If you do that, I'll speak to you. If you don't want to do that, good. Yeah, because it's my time. But there's, you can speak to me for an hour and I'll find out what you're doing and I'll give you some tips and then checking back in with you so if you really need help it's there you know you gotta look you want to help you've got to look yeah no one's coming to save you it's all about taking care of yourself i've put i'll put all the links in there so guys go over to heal thyself i'll put all the links below please join tony or or help yourself tony stableton on youtube what else is there um, it takes me so long to edit all the videos and everything well, you're, very you you're a very good editor you're a very good editor oh yeah but so I will put all the links below Tony so um, everything that will be there you send me all the links you want to put and I'll put there please go over and subscribe to Tony's um, website he's one of the guys that puts the one of the most work in I've seen video editing promoting himself all day long doing videos that are very very creative in a sense of um just using things that, that that you wouldn't usually use and um and, and also go over to iconic and watch our series together as well um but also tony um tony is one of the hardest working people out there doing this sort of work and he really should deserve it deserves much more support than he gets so i'll make it my kind of my thing to help him get his word his work out there and That's i think you should start stupid. a podcast as well because you've got the right tone um, for well, it fine enough rich i'm starting one to, starting one and tomorrow i'm speaking to anthony morris brilliant yeah who wrote who's basically worked out the meaning of everything if you like numbers and how you, he wrote you know the numerical universe so i'm interviewing him tomorrow he's brilliant. in the series yep and next week I am interviewing someone called Laz the Plant Scientist. She's like me, passionate, hates Big Pharma, and she's a plant scientist. She, I know nothing compared to her. She And she's starting this company. She is. She knows everything about all these tinctures and herbs and how it's all there for us. Yeah. 
and how it's squashed down by Big Pharma. So I'll be interviewing her next week. And she goes, oh, send me the questions and all that. And I said, no, forget that. We're just having a conversation and yeah. I'll edit any dodgy bits out. We're having <laughs> a conversation. People want real, they do. You know, natural. That's why I listen, like, listen to you. I didn't really want to listen to it all last night, but I just start listening to you, you know, being silly. And I quite, and I, and I just got into it. Yeah, it's a good it's a good series of guests. So guys, go over to Heal Thyself. I'll put all the links below. Tony, thank you for your time. It's a proper redemption story, it really is. And you're only at the just the you're starting to build this thing. I've seen how much work you've put into your now YouTube channel, your own website, into all the stuff you put on Instagram. So I'll put all the links to your Instagram below as well. And I'm really looking forward to your podcast. I think it's great that you're gonna be doing a podcast and I'll help promote yeah, it's that. It's called Bursting, we call Bursting with Life. Excellent. Brilliant. We all should be bursting with life. Absolutely. You know, not bursting at the seams. <laughs> and also, thanks a lot to you, Richard. Thanks for directing my series. Thanks to Jamie for reaching out to me in the first place. And thanks for being a good support. And uh, I look at you like a little bit of a mentor in the filming world. And, uh, you know, and, <laughs> and Richard's one of these quiet, hardworking, good guys in the background that I think you're really going to see more of. And I'm really looking forward to seeing this new documentary. I saw the advert for it today. Yeah, it's going wow. out soon, War of the wow. Worlds. Well, you think there's actually propaganda going on? You yeah. know. Okay, it should be a good film. Well, thank you for your time, Tony. We'll definitely catch up um, and speak to you soon. And we'll go over and join. So please go over and join Tony for his stuff. He's got. A, I love his story because it's a proper redemption story. And there is, like, if you see what Tony's doing now, it's 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 different, but it's also it's hard work. And I really think people have got the time now to think, can I do something creative with my life? Can I make something right now in this next year? Because this possibly could go on for another year. Yeah, what can I create? That's why you're here. Yeah. That's why you're here. Don't let anyone tell you different, you know? There's so a genius in all of us. Absolutely. Absolutely, there is. You I'm just, the most and... average, I've had the most average, <laughs> boring life. And I'm someone who's suffered from a lot of depression and everything. And you can turn it around. It's just not... It's not that easy. And the last thing I will leave you on is, you know, people say, oh, you won't change. You can't change. These are normally people who can't change themselves. Yeah, you can change. It's just not easy. Okay, so go for it. All right. Thanks, Rich. Push in the